0: I always love having the choir up on uh, any Sunday. Of course, they typically take much of the summer off, but it is a blessing to hear them share, especially as we celebrate uh, this Independence Day. Uh, As I begin this morning, I want to just share with you guys that it it is a little bit of a challenge to preach on specific holidays because your goal is not just to say what everybody else has already said over and over again, which is typically what happens on a day like today. We want so much to be able to bring the patriotic message. We want to be able to bring the message that uh, specifically my first thought when I thought of a a 4th of July or Independence Day sermon uh, is to go back to if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. And obviously we look at our church and we look at the nation that we're in today and we recognize the need for redemption and restoration. We recognize the need for repentance even within our land and we want so much to see revival take place. It would be easy to just almost cherry pick a message on something like that. I wanted to share something with you today, though, that is a little bit, um, I would say, a little bit different uh, from what you typically would hear. Um, To begin with, let me share with you um, my memories of Independence Day. Uh, Growing up, uh, as many of you know, I grew up in a home that was divorced. Uh, My father was rarely around, but there were certain holidays where we could expect him to be there with us, and one of those was the 4th of July. Uh, One of the fondest memories that I have growing up was uh, we had the opportunity to go to a place called Lake Fairfax, which is in Fairfax, Virginia, obviously. Um, And we would go and watch the fireworks. We would have a great time of just hanging out. Uh, Again, this was every, um, every year we would do the same thing. And we would go and it was one of the rare times throughout the year that I loved having my family together. Uh, we didn't have it very often, and we rejoiced over those times. Holidays, like Fourth uh, of July, create an opportunity for families to come together like they normally don't. Um, I encourage you to celebrate on a day like today things like family, but recognize that even f- what we have with our families is not possible without the freedoms that other people have given. Uh, Christmas is another one of those where we think about families coming together together But the reality is Christmas is not really about family. Neither is the 4th of July. Enjoy your family, but realize that there is something much bigger. We celebrate our independence today. The freedom that comes specifically from Jesus Christ. This morning I'd like to share with you from Psalm chapter 18. It's a passage that we sang about at the very beginning of the service this morning. And it begins by saying in Psalm chapter 18, we're going to look at just the first five verses to begin with. It says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. I will tell you that as I read that passage, I see an individual who is very much aware of his sorrows and his struggles, the pain that David was experiencing. He begins with an expression of appreciation to who God is. I love you. You are my fortress. You are my strength. There's a celebration of the fact that even though I have troubles and trials that sit in front of me, I know that you're here with me. But that doesn't mean he is blind to the struggles that are present. Listen to it again. Just verses 4 and 5. The cords of death entangled me. Actually, let me read it to you from the King James, just verses 4 and 5. The sorrows of death encompassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell encompassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. As I look at that, there is a thought that comes to my mind. First of all, why would God allow suffering to his chosen people? In many ways, we look at the United States and we kind of consider ourselves to be a blessed, godly nation. I will tell you that we're probably not as godly of a nation as we think we are at times. But I would also suggest to you that God's hand of blessing has been on our nation, and for that we ought to be grateful. If God has chosen to bless us, why would God allow us also to suffer and to struggle? Probably one of the best ways to answer that is to look at James chapter 1, verses 2-4, through 4, and it's not in your notes, but I'll read it to you. It says, "'Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance.' Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I ask the question, why is it that God would allow suffering and struggles and pain and hardship for our nation, but even for the individual? And I would suggest to you that the reason is because sometimes God is trying to work in us to help us become better than what we are on our own. In the New Testament times, there was an individual who his his job was, he was the silversmith. His job was to try to get silver to be as pure as possible. You say, well, how can you purify silver? Well, the process was very simple. You would take a piece of silver and then you would heat it until it would begin to form into a liquid. And as the liquid would form, any impurities would begin to surface on the top. And the silversmith would then scrape off those impurities. Then he would have to heat it even more. And he would continually do this over and over again, repeating the process, skimming off what's called the dross, all the filth and all the disgusting things that were there. And only when he could look down into the silver and see his actual reflection, did he know that the silver was truly pure. In the same way, I believe that God allows us often to struggle and to go through hardships, often because he is wanting to scrape away the dross, to draw out the things that do not belong in our lives so that we might become truly pure, so that when he looks down upon us, he too can see his reflection and know that we have become the children of God that he desires us to be. It's easy for us to assume that any difficulty must be Satan attacking, but often I would suggest that God is simply trying to prepare his people for better service. No matter how you slice it, David was, as we heard last week, in a whole heap of trouble. By the way, I loved the fact that you kept sharing that with us because That is the world in which we live. Now, we don't have much problem admitting that sometimes we are victims. In today's society, everybody is a victim, either a victim of somebody else's doing or a victim of our own doing. But nevertheless, society doesn't have a problem admitting that we are victims. But David did not just play the victim role. David decided that he would much rather be the victor. Now, if you like the victim role, I'll tell you already, there are plenty of people who uh, do enjoy that role, but you're not going to enjoy this message because my job is not to make you victims. I want you to be victors. I want you to know that there is hope, and it's found only in Jesus Christ. The key to this sermon is found specifically in verse 6, where it says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. Two keys today for moving from victim to victor. First, there must be a confession of weakness. David was finding himself in distress. David, when finding himself in a battle, when finding his mind being attacked by doubt and defeat, he admits he is weak. He cannot defeat the enemy. Now, we don't necessarily see a statement of weakness word for word But I'll show you that he is declaring his weakness in just a few moments. But I want us to realize today that the first step in moving from victim to victor is to admit our weaknesses. You see, it is in our weakness that often we will find the greatest strength possible. In fact, in in the King James Version, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. When we begin to recognize our own weaknesses, we become far more dependent upon the one who can give us strength. I would suggest that over the years, one of the greatest downfalls for America has been prosperity. We have been blessed in so many ways, and what has happened is we have come to a point where we no longer recognize the one who gave us those blessings, but rather we depend on those blessings almost as if they are our God. We need to reach a point once more where we begin to look to the one who gave those blessings in the first place, where we begin to recognize that just as he blessed us, he will be there to provide for us and to take care of us moving forward. Now, I want you to notice the turnaround. Verse 9 said, his strength is made perfect. This is still from 2 Corinthians. His strength is made complete and his weakness I heard a fellow pastor say, this, say it this way. He said, I confess my weakness that I might possess his strength. The reason why a lot of us never move from victim to victor is because we refuse to admit our own weaknesses. You remember the Roadrunner and Coyote story? Most of us remember it as little kids or some of us as adults I don't know when it actually came out. I saw it as a kid. Coyote did everything he could to be able to uh, capture or to kill the roadrunner. And I often wondered as I looked, why didn't he look for help? Maybe it was a pride issue. You know, there were other coyotes, I'm sure. But there was always only one coyote trying to catch a roadrunner. And no matter what he did, it always failed. He was unwilling to ask for help. He was unwilling to admit his weakness and eventually give up. No matter what he did, he would never catch the Roadrunner because the show would be over. And then, of course, we would never be able to watch it again. But the point was that no matter what he did, it always ended up in failure. Well, in many ways, in many ways, we are similar to the coyote in that we are not willing to admit that we don't have what it takes to get the job done. Often what has happened is our weakness has become the thing that has defeated us. But God's way of thinking is not man's way of thinking. And God says to admit the weaknesses in order to possess his strength. For his strength will not fail ever. His success is guaranteed. So the first key is to confess our weakness. But there has to be more than just a confession. I have confessed my weaknesses many, many times and have fallen on my face because I have failed to do the second thing that David did to move from victim to victor. Look at verse 6 again. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. David not only admits his weakness, but also pursues God. After the confession, there must be... Pursuit, not pursuit of the enemy, but of God. David realized that his problem was too large, but he realized that there was a solution that was available to him. David declared that he was depending on the Lord to deliver him. David's dependence on God is found in his pursuit of God. And our dependence on God is found in our pursuit of God. Do you know what happens to most of us? We face those moments of hardship and trial, and we become so focused on the hardship or the trial that we stop seeking God. What happens is we think, well, we can fix this, and I can do this on my own. But actually, what often needs to happen is we don't necessarily need to fix the problem. We need to seek the master who is able to fix the problem. God is the only one that will give us true victory. I understand that there are things that happen in our lives, and sometimes they're not the way we would have planned, and we wish that things were different, and I'm telling you the only way that things can ever be different is to allow Jesus Christ to be the one pursuit for us. We must seek after him above all else. What does that look like? Psalm chapter 42, verse 1 says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for. For you, my God. In other words, just as the deer depends on the water to not only cure his thirst, but to also provide protection. David depends on God to cure his thirst and provide protection from the enemy. You see, is that water that provides the sustenance and it gives him almost a boundary so that when other animals come to attack, he has a way of escape. We've often looked at that as only uh, necessarily so he could drink of the water. But the reality is that that water is something that he needs to protect and to provide. Do we truly seek God as a deer would seek the water? Or do we just kind of haphazardly pursue God on Sunday morning? We must seek the Lord just as a deer pants for the water. Some may say that David is scared and he's running from his enemy here in Psalm 18, but I believe more accurately that David was not running from the enemy so much as he was running toward God. For Psalm 18 declares that David, after pursuing God, pursued the enemy and wiped them out. Listen to this. Listen to how many times David refers to the source of his victory just in this one passage, reading through the rest of chapter 18, I counted no less than 18 times that David gives credit to God for granting him victory. I know at the beginning there, we looked at verses specifically four and five. It seems like all he can see is the hardship, the trials that are there, but the entire rest of the passage is about God's provision and his victory. Often we can fail to see, because we're so focused on the problems, we can fail to see God's faithfulness to us in the midst of our problems. Maybe it would be healthy for us today to take a moment and simply look at where God has been faithful already throughout the years. How has God been there with you? What are the times that you've looked and you felt so helpless, yet somehow God picked you up and he gave you what you needed? What about the times where you had to go through those really difficult times where perhaps the dross was being swept off and you wondered to yourself, God, why would you allow this to take place? Yet then you looked afterwards and realized that God brought you through that so that you could be even more close with him than you've ever been before. Or you could be stronger than you've ever been before. You could become that mature individual who is filled with the spirit of God and able to make a difference in the lives of other people. How has God been faithful to you over the years? Say, I don't know, but I got this problem going on right now. I got this going on. I sure want him to be faithful to me now. I will guarantee you that God will never stop being faithful. As we seek him above everything else, his faithfulness will endure forever. It's not going anywhere. Perhaps we need to stop focusing only on the problems of our lives. And start focusing on the one true living God who is able to solve every problem within our lives. As I look at our nation, and I'm completely out of order. If you guys are looking to fill in the blanks, I can give them all to you later. It's okay. As I look at our nation and as I look at the church today, our nation and our church are in need of the same thing. And that is a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me suggest that it is unfair and unrealistic for us to expect our nation to do that until we as the church do that first. We must seek the Lord with all that we have. And as we do, allow the Spirit of God to work through us so that our nation can be changed. But it must begin here. We must be the church that is filled with the spirit of God, but it begins with having a hunger and a thirst for his righteousness. If you would, I'm asking if you'd all bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we know that it is a privilege to be able to worship, to be able to celebrate, to be able to come into a place like this and to be able to sing and preach and to listen Lord, it is a privilege to be able to act like the body of Christ. But the body of Christ is much more about having a relationship with Christ. Lord, I pray today that for each individual who is here, that we would be so hungry for you that nothing else could satisfy that hunger. Lord, I know that there are difficult things that we face today things that we've already gone through, things that are sitting around the next corner. And often it is tempting for us to simply focus on those things. But instead today, Lord, we ask that you would fix our eyes solely on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek you above all else, even in the trials and tribulations, even in the prosperity and the success. Lord, help us to seek you above everything. Lord, some of us today probably need to repent, for we have allowed sin to take place. We seek revival for our land, but realize that it cannot happen until revival takes place among your people. Lord, I pray today that you would send revival to us. Give us a hunger and a thirst for you, and I pray that you would satisfy that hunger and thirst. Fill us with your spirit and then use us to change the world for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, I do just call your attention in your bulletin. There are some inserts. Look at them. There's some important stuff. And I will tell you, if you are a senior and you would like to be served your food instead of standing in line over there, we have teenagers and we're going to have them. They're going to help. Uh, So we encourage you to just let us know when you get over there. Join us if you can. Thank you.